Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a No my haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and I'm joined in the studio today by the author and retired district and family court judge, Rosemary Riddell. Kia ora, Rosemary. Kia ora. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you in the studio today. Now, Rosemary has just released her book, To Be Fair, Confessions of a District Court Judge, and it's published by Upstart Press. So, huge congratulations. Thank you. It's very exciting launching it. it really yeah, is. I bet. And um, I was really honoured to be at the book launch on Wednesday night. Um, how did it feel when you know when you're launching your own book? Well, it was quite a strange sensation, really. I mean, it was lovely to have family and friends, old friends and people from all over the country there. And it was slightly surreal as well uh, to be at the point holding that book in my hands and it's just about out there uh, in the public. I've thought about it uh, for so long and uh, spent time, you know, with it. And so it was lovely. It was very satisfying. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm really pleased. Pleased mm. to hear that. Now, um, I'm wondering um, if you could tell us a little bit about your motivation for for writing this book. Well, it's interesting, and it partly had to do with COVID because I I'd given up the job. Um, I'd I'd really come to the realization that I couldn't continue as a district court judge, and uh, I couldn't see where my future was. I was wondering who I am. It sort of felt like it left me without an identity. So I was feeling quite low. And one day Mike said to me, why don't you write a book? And he had said that from time to time. That's my husband. Mm -hmm. And this particular day I, I sat down and I wrote out and longhand chapter headings and away I went. So uh, that was the the actual mechanical process of starting. But, but the reason why I wrote the book is because I wanted to show people that judges are not high and mighty and unreachable, uh, that we do a job uh, like so many others, that it's... Uh, I suppose I wanted to show we're real and we have our ups and downs as, as others do too. Yeah, yes, and I think in the book you really do show that and you, you write about some incredibly painful aspects of your own life too. I do, I do, and I thought a lot about that um, but I felt that if I was going to be real then the story of uh, losing our daughter was part of that and and uh, so that went in there too. Mm, mm. Oh, I, I really thank you for that. Thank you. Um, it was so beautifully and, and movingly done. Thank yeah, you. So thank you for that, Rosemary. Now, um, you also said in the book that you've always been fascinated with the law. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that fascination. Right. Well, it, I guess that sounds a bit like I might have been on the wrong side of it oh, at yes. one point, but I, I haven't. Uh, I think I've always. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think I've always been fascinated by, by the process of the law, uh, the, the the courtroom, the drama, uh, and because my first love was the theatre, there was a lot of similarities between the theatre and uh, and the courtroom. Uh, but on the other hand, I never saw myself 
well, as a lawyer for starters for a long time, and I certainly never saw myself as a judge until that possibility came up. It's funny, isn't it, how yeah. we can have so many different careers and, and one can segue into another unexpectedly. Yes, oh, absolutely. And um, what I realised too in reading the book is that, um, you know, there's many of us, and I'd be one of them, who probably never had to appear in court and and might never expect to do so. And yet what you show in your book is that all it would take would be one accident or one illness or one bad decision, one exactly. bump on the head or something, and then all of a sudden yes. you're, you're right in there. And, yes. the, and you and might, as a result of that, as you say, you might find yourself... You know, a, a careless punch, you find yourself in the criminal court or uh, at 18 you suddenly develop schizophrenia out mm-hmm. of nowhere and you find yourself in, in the mental health arena uh, in, a, in a court setting. Uh, so there, things can come out of nowhere and suddenly, yes, your life changes. Yes, yeah, and um, we shouldn't necessarily rule it out, should we? That's right. We never know. Mm, we never know. Absolutely. Often people who do appear in court... Uh, they 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 look like sort of possum in the headlights, you know, mm. uh, and and a terrifying experience for many people. They don't know what to expect. They don't know where to sit. Uh, if they haven't been briefed properly by their lawyer, they don't know where the dock is. Um, they don't know where the jury box is, and 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 so it it can be it can be quite a scary process. Yeah. Yes. Oh, very. And much for family so. who are sitting watching too. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, look. Um. I'll probably come back and ask you a few more questions about court later, but I was going to ask you or um, talk a little bit about your early earlier life because you started your early working life, as, as you say, in, in um, theatre and the radio. And then, of course, you did your OE, which is, is what many of us have done. Yes. And that's you met Mike, oh, your husband Mike, overseas. I did. You? I did. It was an interesting story meeting him because I was living in a three-storey house in Stoke Newington. Now, Stoke Newington is probably a bit like Ponsonby now, but it certainly wasn't in the early 70s. Very run down. And uh, everyone just had to pay £5 a week, which covered their rent, power, phone, food, the lot. But if they didn't pay, then the whole system for all 12, 14 people fell down. So uh, we were having a fam- we were having a, a, a flat meeting and I was I was standing giving a rant. I was the person who organised the money and collected it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I was saying that some people weren't paying their £5 and, and these two Kiwis um, sort of wandered into the kitchen and I turned on them and said, and if you think you're going to live here and you don't pay your money, you can think again too. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was Mike. He oh. said it was love at first sight, but I, know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, you could make a film about that. Yeah. Yes, that'll be great. An auspicious beginning. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yes, and so then you had um, you, your family. Yes, so we went back to, to New Zealand, got married and uh, had three children. Uh, and uh, then Mike um, decided he would like to, with my blessing, go and study uh, to be a Baptist minister. And that's mm-hmm. when we went to Baptist College in uh, Auckland for three and a half years. And then he had the opportunity to get a scholarship to study in Switzerland to complete a theological 
degree. It was an international seminary. And so we lived in Zurich for nearly mm. three years. Uh, the children were bilingual and uh, we struggled away, or I struggled away in the, co- in the, in the um, classroom trying to learn German while they just effortlessly mm-hmm. put it into practice. Same with their skiing. Uh, <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. So the children were young and they enjoyed travel and that whetted my appetite for study, I must say. Oh, right, yes. And so was it when you got back here that you thought about going to law school? It, well, it, well, not law school, just doing some study. Oh. I just wanted, I'd really enjoyed the study I'd done in Switzerland. So I, I enrolled for four papers just to see if I could, just mm. to dabble my toe in the water and uh, got good grades. And, and one day Mike said to me, why don't you do a law degree? And that mm. was yeah, I could do that. Uh, it, it's, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I don't consider myself much of a, a an introvert or or um, a shy person, but but it's often taken someone else to give me that nudge or that suggestion, and that was so with the book, and that was so with studying law too. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was so with becoming a, a judge. You know, someone rang me and said, "Why don't you apply?" So mm-hmm. um, sometimes we need those little yes, pushes from to, others, don't yes, we? Yes, and someone to remind you that you can do it. That's you right. Know, you'd be more than more than capable. That's right. So you were um, forty when you when you. When I graduated, yes, yes. But, you know, when you think about it, I think that's probably a good age, really, because I'm just thinking, you know, you were saying how terrifying it is to appear in court as a... As, as a, a newbie. member of the public, yes. Mm. But as what about a new lawyer? Yes. And if you're 24 or something, I imagine it would be absolutely intimidating. It is hard for a young lawyer, but it, they've got the benefit of youth in that sense because you look at them and you know that they uh, they haven't been around long and they, they, you know, so you cut them some slack. Oh, right. But if, yes. if, if a lawyer walks in in her lawyer's suit and she's 40, uh, the judge won't necessarily know, certainly not in Auckland where I started out, <clears throat> that, um, that that you're a new lawyer. So I really was in at the deep end from from the beginning and that was that was pretty tough. Oh, right. Yes, that's almost slightly counterintuitive, isn't it? But I can see how that would happen. Yes. Do you think that it did help that you'd been a performer, you know, in those first <gasps> oh, days? Oh, definitely, definitely. It, it meant that I was able to stand up, nervous as I was, uh, and speak slowly and clearly and collect my thoughts. Uh, I think that was a real help being a bit older. And I think, too, I had, not to say that a younger person wouldn't have, but I really had the commitment to to studying the law, spending every lunch hour preparing for the afternoon and so forth. And that helped, too. I suppose I felt, well, I don't have as much time in this as, <laughs> as someone who's only 21, so I need to make the most of it and make it count. Yeah, yeah. And I think so often that happens with mature students doesn't it? You, you're more serious about it. Yes, yes. You know why you're there yeah. uh, and you're not there just for the fun of the university, mm. fun as that might be when you're yeah. 17. Uh, but when you're an older student uh, and you've got three young children at home and, and a husband with a career, and uh, you know why you're there and you just get on and do it. Yeah. And, and I did, and I did. But I, I did have a study group of three other mature students, which was fantastic because
because we were looking at the same legal problems together and working them through and we'd, we'd meet at lunchtime and so on. So study group was great. I'd recommend it to any student. Oh, right. Oh, that's good advice, actually. Mm. Yeah. Now, and then in those early days, you specialised in family law. And then um, after a, a few years, I think it was 2006, you became a um, a district court judge. That's right. I'd done uh, criminal law as well, but I'd increasingly focused in the family arena. Uh, it's common for someone appointed uh, to the family court bench to also appear in the criminal jurisdiction and do what we call summary matters and also judge alone t- trials, unless you really are... Uh, um, struggling with that, that's what most judges do. Oh. I like the mix of family and criminal work. I, I, They were a nice counterbalance. So I enjoyed the chance to uh, be a judge in both jurisdictions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and um, you alluded to it earlier, but how actually do you become a judge? That's <laughs> that's an interesting question. I, I, I guess people think there must be some mysterious mm. process <laughs> But really, it's it's uh, it's the same as applying for a job. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's quite straightforward. You put your name forward, uh, fill in the form, have referees, and then wait and see if you get an interview. It, it is also a lot more transparent than I think it used to be in years gone by, which is a good thing. So people know if there's an appointment coming up in a certain area, they can make an application. You might get a letter saying, not this time, but we'll keep you in the mix. Um, I just applied and I got an interview and then sometime later got a phone call to say I'd got the job. So uh, that was enormously exciting and rewarding. Had to keep it confidential for a while and then uh, shortly after that I had a a ceremony in the district court in Dunedin uh, and uh, became a judge. Oh, that's so interesting, and that's not terribly mysterious. It's at not, all, is it? really. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> I'm no. learning. It's really quite so ordinary. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, in general, um, a judge doesn't have the freedom to to write or speak frankly about their exactly. Their work. Um, can you tell us why that would be? I think it's partly because a judge is called to be objective and impartial. And those two qualities are incredibly important for any judge. So if, for example, I, as a judge, had written a letter to the editor uh, complaining about someone or something, uh, it would be very difficult for me to then uh, act impartially if that matter or something like it came before me in the future. But I think these days judges are encouraged to keep up their community involvement. And I did a lot of speaking to groups uh, when I was a judge, trying to demystify the job, mm. if you like. Uh, but it is important that you, your personal views, your political views are not up for public discussion. And so when I wrote the book, it was a, uh, a certain degree of relish <laughs> <laughs> that I knew I could now say what I liked. But having said that, there's no going back from that. Uh, I, I couldn't and I wouldn't go back to to the bench, but uh, I've I've said in the book what I think about a lot of subjects, including some laws that I think are pra- mm, plainly mm. wrong, and uh, now I've got the freedom to say what I couldn't say then. Right. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, and um, but that it is like a one way street, or you go for through the, a, for the a, most part. It like is a valve yes. for something that, that's right. where you can't go yes. back. Yes, yeah. that's right. Oh, interesting. Mm. Now. Um, 
In 2009, you directed the award-winning feature film The Insatiable Moon, which was based on the novel by Mike. Yes. Um, now, you didn't really intend to direct that film. I didn't, did no, no. It was a co-British New Zealand production. We had a, a Scottish director, a very experienced director, but um, when the budget started to get slimmer and slimmer, he said, oh, you can't make this film for under a million dollars, and he declined. He offered to come to New Zealand uh, to to help out the new director, which was kind of him, Uh, and the producers approached me, and I thought, I can do this. I, I thought that for a couple of reasons, because... One, I had read the script and I knew it inside out. Mm. Two, I had been auditioning the actors for the film before the uh, director came along. So I knew who I wanted in the film. And then I had met the director of photography, Tom Burston, wonderfully experienced uh, director of photography. And I knew that we could work together. So I I took on something that was uh, huge, but... It was it was made easier by a wonderful cast and and a fabulous crew to work with. And you're right, yeah, that was at the end of two thousand mm-hmm. and nine. And because I will never forget seeing the film myself. It must that would have been in two thousand and ten. I, I guess yes. when I saw it, I just found it amazing. And honestly, I think I cried the whole way through. Oh, did you? Actually, it was so moving. Yes. And also having grown up around those areas and or having been around during that time of deinstitutionalisation as well. And yes. Knowing yes. some of those characters that yeah. that we knew yeah. back then. And it, it was just, it was heartbreaking, but such a beautiful, it was beautiful lovely. film. Uh, I'm, Mike and I are both very proud of the film. Mm. I think it was a great little film. I think if we'd had a million dollars for marketing, we could have we could have publicised it more widely. But it, it had a run with Rialto in New Zealand mm. and it had a run in the UK as well. We went over to London for the uh, premiere, which was great fun. So it was lovely and great actors. Ian Mune, yeah. Rawari Paratini, Greg Johnson, uh, Sarah, Sarah Wiseman, mm. uh, and, and it won a couple of awards at the New Zealand mm. Film Awards. It was um, it was very gratifying. Uh, but when you work with, with a great cast, it, it, it helps immeasurably. I, I bet. And, and having, having had an acting background, it was always important to me that there be no cringe factor, which we sometimes saw in, in earlier New Zealand films. Mm. You want to go along and see the actors acting and not think, oh, that's not very believable or that doesn't work. It had to gel. And I think they did. Mm. I, I think they did. It, it certainly did from where I, I was mm. sitting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Because um, I'd wondered if there's any similarities really be- between being a good judge and being a good film director? Ah, that's an interesting (laughs) question. Well, being a good film director is about bringing out the best in people. It's about getting the best scene, the best acting, the best feel of the film that that brings out the arc of the film. So, So I think that's the craft of a director. Slightly different... Uh, in the courtroom, you're not necessarily there to bring out the best because you've got to deal with what you've got. Mm. But I think in both judging and directing, it's about respect. It's about Mm. respect for the actor, the crew, the people you're working with. And as a judge, it was always really important to me to be respectful of people, no matter 
why they were there or what they had done uh, to eyeball them Hmm. and listen to them and give them the respect. I think that's the starting point for any judge, quite apart from objectivity and impartiality. And all, yes, those other other things as well. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Now, um, you you do tell some funny stories in in the book um, about um, particularly about being in the courtroom and um, when you used to be called sir oh. a lot. Dear me. Oh, I say in the book that uh, that uh, judges are mostly called sir uh, for men and for women it's sir as well because they forget. Oh, right. <laughs> they, they've yes. got a woman in front of them. Once but, I threatened to call a lawyer Mrs. I said, if you call me m- sir once more, I'm going to address you as Mrs. <laughs> Hopefully that changed the, it did. It the did. behaviour. And then um, some of the members of the public, I think you talk about them calling you, you were once called Your Majesty. I was, yes. Very grand, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. And then mum. Mum. Which which I guess, is that um, like mum? Yes, because people people Mm. can say uh, mum or or your honour and uh, sometimes uh, the client doesn't quite (laughs) hear it right and they think that mum is mum. So (laughs) so I often got called mum. So that was was quite nice too. (laughs) Yes. And I think you did get called auntie. Auntie, yes. yes. But I mean, in New Zealand, and that's a term of respect, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. So that's, yeah, I think I'd rather be called auntie than sir. Uh, any day, any day. <laughs> yeah. And then you tell another funny story um, at your own expense, I guess, about having a wardrobe malfunction when you were quite new. Oh, um, oh Was that yes. when you got caught in the chair? Yes. The gown is voluminous uh, and huge batwing arms and you're sitting on a chair which has roller legs. Mm. Uh, The gown got caught under the roller legs so when I got up to leave I I sort of did a swoop for the floor. It was most undignified. (laughs) Oh dear. Yes, classic. You're probably not the only person that's had that. No. I I, I talk about uh, some of my colleagues did equally embarrassing things. One of them pressed the um, uh, the... Oh yes, the the help, help, we need security help. And uh, police came rushing into his courtroom. Uh, he'd just pressed the wrong button, but uh, <laughs> easily done. Yes, oh, absolutely. Now, and you also, you tell a very touching story um, about, I think it was one weekend when you and Mike were travelling for your um, court, your judging On work. circuit work, yes. Yes, and um, there was a bit of an out-of-control 21st Birthday party, oh, and then yes. the KFC. Which, oh. <laughs> but um, what it, it really impressed me about that was that oh, I suppose I should tell the story to the the audience that there were a bunch of I think did you call them yobbos? I love that word. <laughs> they were being a bit yobbo. They were being a bit yobbish. Yes, yes, they were. So we were staying at a motel across the road. It was Sunday night, and by uh, the music was had a very deep, loud bass, and Mm. after an hour I thought, oh dear, this isn't going to go away. So I thought, I'll just wander across the road, very low-key. Mike wasn't really keen for me to go, but I thought, I'll just go and have a chat with them. So I was met with a lot of FUs and Mm. and, and similar, and uh, I I just asked a few more questions and found that it was the young woman's 21st Mm. birthday. And here they were, standing around, lounging against cars with cans in their hand, and I thought... I, I left and I went back to Mike and I just thought about what my 21st was like. Yeah. Presence and family and good food. And I, I suddenly felt 
terribly sorry for her. Mm. So we went down to KFC and bought fifty dollars worth of food and 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 uh, came back and uh, got out of the car and said, "Oh, this is this is just for the birthday." And the first thing she said was, "Oh, I'm really sorry for swearing at you." <laughs> at yeah. you, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, but the music turned down after that. But I just. I I just felt such a sense of compassion. I was a little worried that I might see her in court because it wouldn't have been a good look uh, uh, dishing out uh, KFC to somebody who who then comes up before you uh, as a defendant uh, being charged with some crime and might look like the judge was paying her off or something. So thankfully I didn't see her in court. And that was some years ago and I've often wondered since. I wonder what what happened to her. Yeah, uh, but what I loved about that was that you, instead of throwing your weight around or saying, don't you know who I am or that sort of thing, you reflected and thought, where's this young woman coming from? You know, and you thought about the 21st parties that many of us are privileged enough to have had. I don't think it would have been very wise to throw my weight around with a, do you know who I am? (laughs) Because, um, you know, in in some of those kind of scenarios, it might have inflamed them, especially if if they were familiar with the inside of a courtroom, shall we say. So uh, I would have kept that very low key. But, um, yeah, I I think... Maybe the job of being a judge over all those years heightened my sense of compassion for yes. for people, for situations that are sometimes so sad and, and, and too many to speak of now, but people get themselves into some dreadful situations and, and sometimes, you know, they pay the price and you don't ever see them again. Sometimes it's like a revolving door. Oh, oh, yes, I was going to ask you about the revolving door mm. the kind of thing. That must feel frustrating or sad when... it's really it's really frustrating because you take you take say a young boy he he goes to lots of different schools he's got glue ear uh, his eyesight's not great but nobody's picked that mm. up because he's changing schools his reading writing skills pretty shaky they never really develop uh, he might have dyslexia and at 17 uh, some of his mates say well we're going out in the car tonight do you want to come yeah okay that'd be cool and off they go uh, we're just going to go into this house and they go mm. into a house and no one's there and the next thing he's in the middle of a burglary which is a serious charge for which he could go to prison. And I, I and of course the brain of a 17-year-old is not fully developed. No. We we forget that. Mm. Um, they they are young people, they might be sophisticated, but their brains are not developed at that stage. And so we can see them go down a path that um, that could have been prevented if all of those other things in in the schooling mm. years perhaps had been different had been, for them. Had been picked up. Mm. Yeah, so um what does it feel like then when you've got to sentence someone? It's very, very difficult. Sometimes with the police support, and that means that the police are silent, they don't um, offer up any submissions, sometimes a community-based sentence uh, is appropriate. That might be community work or community detention or something similar or loss of licence for six months. But sometimes, whether it's their first appearance or their 15th appearance, uh, you read through the criminal history and you can see that this has been going on for far too long and it's got to the point where a prison term has to be imposed. Mm. Sad as it is, uh, it has to be done and that's the hard call for a judge. Yeah, really really hard, isn't it? Yes, Yes, yes. But um, it's so good that, you know, when you have compassionate 
judges like like yourself. Um, well, it's I, I think it's I think it's called for by every judge. It's a balancing act between compassion and imposing the law that what the statute says, uh, and making sure that that justice is upheld and that the victim's voice is heard. There are so many competing voices in that exercise of sentencing, and they must all be heard. Uh, Yeah. Oh, that's such a juggling or balancing act, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so, and now you and Mike um, these days live in central Otago, which is a beautiful place part of the world. Yes. Um, and there's lots of writers in, in the Ida Valley, aren't there? It's something in the water, I think. Mm. <laughs> there's there, there's six of us on the same road. It's really quite amazing. Oh, wow. And of course, uh, uh, the wonderful poet Brian Turner is one of them oh. and his partner Gillian Sullivan, uh, who's just had a book published, is another. And uh, they're all the way down the road. Um, Dougal Rilstone, he, he's written a wonderful book on fly fishing and his thoughts on the river. And Bridget Akhmuti is a poet. And, of course, my husband Mike's a writer mm. and screenwriter. He's just um, had his latest screenwriting project, uh, given the green oh, light, exciting. go ahead. So that's exciting. So we're all we're all there, and it's just wonderful to get together, and we do so regularly. Yes. Oh, it sounds like a wonder, wonderful place it is. Yes. to be. Yes. yes, for many reasons. Oh, well, look, um, I feel as I could talk to you for another half an hour. Oh, but we're, lovely. We're just about at the end of our, our time today. Yes. So um, to our listeners, uh, just a reminder that I've been speaking to Rosemary Riddell, who's the author of To Be Fair, Confessions of a District Court Judge. And so for anyone who wonders what a judge does or what it's like to be a judge and sit on the bench in our court system, this is the book for you. Um, It's written with great warmth and gentle humour and great compassion and I really do feel that the world is richer for this book. It's highly recommended. So thank you for being here today, Rosemary. Thank you, Alison. Good luck with the book. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk with you. This programme was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and Catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.